He's got a jet, he's got a great golf stream and a private airstrip and his friends will fly in from all over the world just to play around at golf. But he also just wants to, at the end of the day, feel good about life, be around people he loves, have a drink and watch a good game. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. When you think of a billionaire, what pops into your mind? Images of luxury sports cars, massive mansions, and living an extremely high-end life? Perhaps you envision an incredibly hard worker who scraped their way to the top by their own gumption, leveraging their network and their convictions to make the world around them a better place. In today's podcast, we'll discover the key to successfully navigating the world of the 0.01%, what similarities they share with everyone else, how to learn from their behavior to improve yourself, and yes, we'll talk about the cars and the mansions too. Joining me today is my friend, William Dahl, who embodies the message of NetworkWise and never giving up when times get tough. As you will see, he's as likable and relatable as they come. William was kind enough to share the details of his background and how his mission to create the Sinaitis Group came to fruition, as well as some of the projects that they have successfully launched. Hear for yourself how this amazing human being has immersed himself in that world of the top 0.01% and how he's not much different than you and me. So tune in and stay tuned to my conversation with my friend, William Dahl. Enjoy. William. Adam. Thank you for coming, my friend. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready. So I know that we're under the gun with time. So I'm going to try to pack in as much as we possibly can. Okay. So it might feel like you're getting I won't take machine gun style. <laughs> Talk to me. You've got a nickname. Do you know what your nickname is? Billy the Kid? No, I don't know about that one. That's <laughs> okay. another one. Mr. 1%. Have you heard that? I have only from the Quartz article, not in person. From the what article? The Quartz article. is an article that this gentleman wrote. About sinitis, about the 1%, yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with sinitis, do you mind explaining your company, what it is, how it came to be, all that kind of fun stuff? All right, yeah, sure. I run a group called Sinitis. We have 21 members. They're all single-family offices, nine different countries. It's now going to be our seventh year. So I didn't start out in investment space, didn't start out with a lot of ultra-high net worth friends. In fact, I had none. Gives us all hope. <laughs> yeah. Got there by a completely circuitous route. I mean, shall I go into how I got into uh, <sighs> Well, explain space? what it is, if you don't right, mind. Sure. Like, explain so what it is. Yeah. It, this is a, what I call a crossover group for traditional investors and impact investors to look at opportunities that have some type of a return that's not financial, whether it's social, environmental, it has to bring something to the table that's not just all about the financial return. We do look at traditional opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. In fact, most of the families starting off were oil and gas families. And a lot of them still have holdings in oil and gas. But 
this is a place where those families who are interested in impact opportunities can come together, no judgment. We're not going to reject anyone. We're not going to yell at them for having or holding so-called uh, dirty opportunities. This is a place where they can talk, they can do business amongst themselves, but also look at sustainable, social, impactful opportunities. And when you say ultra-wealthy, how would you define ultra-wealthy? I mean, I think anyone north of $100 million in investable assets is ultra-wealthy. So the majority of your people are probably billionaires. Yes, that's how I get introduced, is as the guy who runs the billionaire club. Hence... Hence the one percent. Yeah, exactly. But it's actually point zero 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 two percent. Even if you look, maybe there's three thousand, four thousand billionaires. No one really knows. Yeah, because it's not like a known. It's not everyone's in Forbes. Yeah, a lot of families trying to stay out of Forbes. Study a lot of families are not in Forbes. Yeah, so probably a really easy group of people to crack into, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The doors are wide open. (laughs) So how about in the spirit of network wise? Like again, you can't break into these groups. How did you do it? And what would you say are some common themes that you see amongst these elite? Because you're playing with a niche within a niche within a niche. That's right. The way I got into it was I was working in a boiler room. I was in New York City, still am in New York City, working down on Wall Street in a boiler room for a company I hated. absolutely could not stand it. It was a cold call sales environment. I started off as just a regular sales guy with a script in front of me and a product to sell. It just kept going at it with all my heart. And even though I didn't like the job, you stand all day, you're calling people don't want to be called, bothering them on their cell phones if you can get it, and then pitching them up on a product. In fact, I hated it so much, I took up an alias, and that is Ben Halliday. So (laughs) So anyone there who remembers Ben, I apologize sincerely on behalf of all the cell phones he snaked and deals that he got pushed you into doing. But it definitely taught me sales and it was a good experience, even though it was not the career path I wanted at all. I came out of film. That was my desire was to do film. I worked there and they every time I wanted to quit, they would promote me up. And so I'd be a sub manager and then a manager and then a multi-project manager and then a sales director of a New York City office, which was the biggest office for the company. They had five offices. 70 sales guys and girls, women too, pitching on all of these different B2B summits, business to business summits. And it was oil and gas, it was IT, it was pharmaceuticals, healthcare, it was every vertical you could imagine, except for investment. They didn't do anything with endowments and foundations, for example, or private investors. But the experience definitely showed me how do you put together a two and a half day conference, which is actually excruciatingly painful. So when I finally quit after I was made sales director, I mean, there was really nowhere else to go. You become the CEO of the company or whatever. It wasn't going to happen. So I left. I said, I want to do something I care about. I started Sinaitis. It's Greek, means conscience. And the idea was this would be a place for the investors to look at opportunities that are meaningful. I don't even know what impact investing was at that point. And I started with endowments and foundations. We did that in 2012, the Ritz-Carlton and Amelia Island. I just called everyone up. I called the endowments up. I called the CIO up, called the foundations up, got the director of the foundations. And then I call up sponsors from all over the world, hedge funds, investment managers. And I got them to sign up between 30 to 50K a piece to come down and to do exactly what I'd been taught how to put together. 
a two and a half day conference where you have one-on-one -on -one meetings and you have a program at the same time. And then I got the speakers, did everything. So I worked for the first pretty much three years <clears throat> in the basement nonstop. Marriage takes a toll because your wife doesn't see you, your family doesn't see you, and you're in the basement all the time. And they're saying, what are you doing? And you're trying to make a go of it. And over the course of that, I met this guy, Jim McLaughlin, James W. McLaughlin. He's a coal baron. He was a mentor to me, still is in a way. I was looking for a venue. I was looking for a place to host the next meeting. And someone recommended the Old Farm, which is in Bristol, Virginia. It's a private golf club, one of the top 10 in the US. And I went to look at it. They sent me the membership directory. 300 people are members of this club and they got all their details in there. Home address, home phone number, cell phone, everything. And these are some of the captains of industry in the United States. Now, you don't go ahead and start calling all these people, which is your first instinct as a sales guy is, <clears throat> I got their cells all here. I'm going to call every one of them and start pitching them up on this. And that was the first lesson I had to learn. <laughs> in this rarefied world, you can't go about the sales that you did in the boiler room the same way. You can't do it. It's a different touch completely. But I did pitch the owner, Jim McLaughlin on this concept. I mean, I called him on his cell. You walk me through that phone. Okay. Call. All right. Yeah. I said, Jim, my name is William Dahl. I'm looking at holding a meeting at your golf club. I've seen the directory and it is astonishing. And I want to come down. And I want to talk to you about it. He was in Naples, Florida. He finally agreed to it. I mean, it took me a while to get there, but he finally agreed to the meeting, met him in Naples. I flew down a beautiful penthouse apartment overlooking Gulf of Mexico. He's got artwork all over the place and just wonderful, wonderful space. Met his lovely wife and he was welcoming into his world. And that was my first time seeing the inside, what it looked like at the very top of society. Walk me through that. What does that look like for the majority of us? The 99.90008. Don't, don't get to see that. it. Yeah. Like I grew up, which was normal. I didn't have any of this. So for me, it was, I was just very cautious. And you kind of freeze up a little bit because you're walking in, you're seeing everywhere. This guy had 15 cars in the garage. I mean, the place was a gorgeous gated community. So you go through the gates. He picked me up from somewhere. We met somewhere off site. And then he took me in. He drove me in on his Bentley. It was a gorgeous day and everyone knew him. Great community. And it's the kind of gated community where all the neighbors are in the same category because every apartment there is running from six to whatever, 20 million. And this is for most people, it's not their first apartment, <laughs> primary residence. It's the place they go in the winter, which was in the case here. So it was an eye-opening experience. But the warmth that I experienced as well we held our first meeting there at his, uh, not there, but at his private golf club in spring of 2013. That warmth, once having done that, having brought everyone together, and we made it a very a much smaller, more cultivated group. This was for private investors. I think I had two endowments there. But it was basically for private investors. They got to play golf. They had two and a half days of great conversations. I brought together some great people from Stanford. I mean, again, I put together the whole program. And then you hire out uh, event people who come and take care of the details on site during the event itself. So this is back when I was still doing conferences. But the warmth that Jim welcomed me with into his world 
made me realize he's just a regular guy like I am in many ways. In many ways he's not. He's got a jet, he's got a great golf stream and a private airstrip and his friends will fly in from all over the world just to play around at golf. But he also just wants to, at the end of the day, feel good about life, be around people he loves, have a drink and watch a good game. Regular kind of stuff that I can appreciate and relate to. So I related to him and I started to feel who he was and started to get into that world. And that was my big first entrance. So was that the tipping point to launch you? It was the beginning of the realization of what I wanted to actually do with Sinaitis. Okay. So it was the first time I realized there are people here who can write significant checks, five to 10, 15 million dollars right now and do things with that where if you collected a group of such people, you could really do something significant. You would have 75 million collected in equity that you could put towards some type of project. So what are you gonna do with that opportunity now? Was what I was thinking to myself. And what I have been fine tuning ever since is the idea of, so we have our own group where we have impact projects that we look at and people invest into individually. And that's fantastic. There's a lot of sustainable projects in the world. But I wanted to create a group, like a superheroes league, of ultra-wealthy who are taking on the world's greatest challenges, turning those challenges into opportunity. That is what Sinaitis is. Wow. Anyone's in particular that you're most proud of right now? There are many that I am happy about because I'm just glad the deal happened, frankly. And I'll give one example because... Sometimes people get a little bit touchy when you talk about their deals. <laughs> but I'll give one example just to put it out there. So Argonne National Laboratory is a resource in our country. We've got the national labs. No other country really does this. Where They have multiple national laboratories devoted just to R&D. And they came out of an era in World War II. Argonne is where they built the hydrogen bomb. It's where they actually figured out how to do it. So they have great physicists. And... One of the key markets right now that's going to be key as we go forward, as we continue to innovate as a society, globally, this is going to happen. Energy storage will become a huge part of renewables, of electric vehicles, of everything that runs off of sources that are not oil and gas. The energy, whoever can corner that market will have huge gains. And the uh, National Laboratory Argonne successfully spun out a private company called Volta. It's in Chicago, and they are focused exclusively on energy storage. And so we brought together the CEO of the utility that actually put down the first money into it, which is always the hardest money to get. Always. <laughs> and we brought them together on a yacht. This is offshore on a yacht in Norway with other investors who wanted to come up alongside and co-invest alongside a corporation. And so right now, Volta has three major investors behind them. Each had a hundred million commitment, a pop. <laughs> yeah. So they're significant. And what stage of the investment is that in right now? Those investments have been made. They're closed. The commitments are done. Okay. So they're taking on more investors now, but they've already got enough operating capital to, they're already launched. And how long, so is that, is 300 million their series A? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or right. Is that the, or is that BC? And, <laughs> yeah. They're doing a little bit differently. They're doing it like a holding company. So they'll end up, their target is 1.2 billion. So they want to get 12 major investors behind them. But even with the three, 
that's capital to grow and expand upon. And they'll start getting into the market. They'll get commercial products into the market before they get maybe all of their investors together. That's a pretty cool project to be behind. Damn, yeah, (laughs) it is. It is absolutely incredible. And there's, I think the challenge is not for opportunities. There's plenty of opportunity in the marketplace. You bring together any group of investors and they're just amongst themselves going to have opportunities to share. But I think the real issue is how do you find a platform that takes it global, that makes it into a more unified, cohesive ecosystem? Because right now, there's a lot of independent projects happening around the world. The UN, they've got a group called UN Ops. It's a division that is self-funded. They work as the project manager in all the infrastructure projects of the UN and their partners. They'll do 20 projects a year on renewables, on healthcare, on housing. They do 5,000 houses in Kenya, 50,000 in India. All of those projects are standalones. Mm. So they're not united. Not sharing resources. Not sharing resources. Exactly. And how much more efficient would that be if it were part of an ecosystem? What if you had that global network? And I know there are great groups. Bill Gates is certainly on top of it with Breakthrough Energy Coalition. BEC is doing incredibly good early stage investing into opportunities that will be very promising. But where is the platform? You've got these entity like a UN with their projects, which you can co-invest into, but it's the UN. And then you've got organizations like BEC with some powerful investors behind them. We're a small operation in comparison. It's not as this, but there are other groups like that. How do we unify that is what I'm looking for. And that's the stage that I think I'm in right now. Gotcha. Well, hopefully people that are listening might have some ideas or some people that they can put you in touch with. I'll have your information in the show notes. I'm assuming we're going to be sharing that, right? We're Absolutely. Be, okay, okay, yeah, okay, you good. can right. share it. And okay, put it good. out. Well, call one eight hundred. We'll make sure that we're, that people are able to get in touch with you. So, for these past seven years, you've been immersed with being on a pretty significant mission, and you've been surrounding yourself with that top point oh oh two percent. What do you see as common threads amongst these billionaires, for lack of a better sure. term? I, first of all, do look for and I'm interested in, as you say, a subset of a subset of a subset. So I'm interested in those people who are awake to the realization that we are at a very significant time in history, that there are more challenges than anyone can turn into opportunity. And the only way to achieve that is with cooperation, coordination amongst the families. I think single family offices and family offices are going to be the leaders to significant investment change. How do you invest differently to impact investing? So what I see as the common thread with the group of people who I am talking to in that ultra high net worth category is that they are humble. They realize we are but a speck of dust in the overall scope of the universe living in the blink of an eye in the overall frame of time. So we are here for such a short amount of time. And what are you going to do with this time? Mm. And if you have such resources, these people do, what are you going to do with that resource? What are you going to do with those investments and your connection and your whole influence, your whole ecosystem? How can you use that for the betterment of the world? That's legacy questions that people So, okay, good. Do you find any contradictions amongst some of these extremely affluent people saying, hey, listen, we want to help the world, but yet how we've made our money might not necessarily be the most benevolent of uh, contributions? 
Yes, there is no doubt. This is why I don't judge where you got your money. Not interested, frankly. My interest is where are you right now? Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, where do you want to go with the money that you have? I mean, everyone made their money. Whenever you talk about money, it's a greedy business. There is nothing about that that is going to be clean or spiritual or <laughs> wholesome, yeah. frankly. It is what it is. It is what it is. It's money. It's a, it's a vice. But it's a reality, and we're all chasing it. And so, yeah, there is the contradiction between how did you make your money versus what do you want to do right now with it. Sometimes people are motivated by guilt, and maybe they feel guilty. They want to be philanthropic. But impact investing has recently taken a much, much more significant share of people's interest, if not their investment. Although the investment is growing rapidly, percentage-wise. Yeah, it's amazing how much in the conference space that caters to that I know has grown. Hmm. You know, we talked about Pam. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll rejoin our conversation in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast as well as our other episodes, please support us using Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash networkwise. Thanks for listening. And now let's rejoin the show. Clearly now you're at a point where the business is chugging along. You've got a nice little name for yourself. How do you expand? Or has it gotten to the point yet where people are coming to you? Or is it still... Just started. Really? Just started. Where you start to get introductions to people from within the group to other people who they feel should be in the group. Mm. Or people who even aren't in the group. I got introduced to people who were just saying, we just like you as a person. We like your mission. Why don't you come and meet with this family? And then if there is synergy, fantastic. Who are the people you say no to without naming names? I mean, yeah, that's a tough one. I'll tell you, especially early on. This is a decision I had to make early on. Oh, I needed the money. And I had someone who was willing to pay it. And then I did a background. I started to learn to do this, to do background checks on people, not just take everything at the word, at the value. Is this a good person or not? And it was an oil and gas person. He obviously wanted to join the group just to get in with some other families that were there. And he didn't blink in the early days at my highest rate. I quoted him 60K when I was selling him my memberships for 15,000 hmm. as an annual renewable. He didn't blink at it. Everything was going too quick, frankly. And so I did a background check on him and he had some very negative stories associated with him. And I've learned the hard way that there is some people, if you take that money, it is a death. Mm. Blood nail money. in the coffin. As blood, well, yeah, it's a nail in your own coffin because you're going to lose your reputation. You're going to lose the members. Let's talk about that for a little bit. How important is your reputation? Huge. It's everything. I mean, it's probably the biggest thing that you have. How do you build that reputation? One by one. One by one. You meet individually with everybody. I mean, just like you were saying about how you do your podcast, you meet people one-on-one to do it. This is the same way. And you build up a relationship with the right people. And a lot of it has to go with your gut and what other people are telling you. You're getting recommendations from other people. You and I met through a recommendation of a common friend. So the good karma does cultivate, self-cultivate in a way. Yeah. And you just have to follow up on that and do your due diligence, but stay open to the goodness and humanity. (laughs) 
And then what about how accessible are these people? So when you're coordinating, you're going to their house and stuff like that, are you coordinating mano a mano or are you connecting with their personal assistant? All the above? Oh, no, no. I don't do the PA. I don't want to. I want to have a relationship personally with the individual. No, I so, get that, but are they... Yeah, know, no, they're yeah. very, I mean, they're very cool because I say to people, like, some people will say, Julie will take care of all of the dates for when <clears> I arrive and she'll let you know. Fine, I get it. He wants me to connect with the PA and do it with the PA. Not a problem. Others, they're very hands-on and they're cool like that. And everyone you have to be open with, I guess, is the bottom subjective. line. Subjective. Yeah, it's going to be subjective. Everyone's a little bit different. But I just say open. Look, if, if it's too much right now, you don't want to deal with this, you want to pass it down, that's fine. But most people, they just confirm. And I do a lot of texting and cell phone calls. Yeah. Do you notice that a lot of these people that might, you get them in the room and everything's hunky-dory, but then when it comes back to they've got their chief investment officer that they have to run something by that yeah. you know typically is kind of the block, if you will. I don't get so involved with the deal. There's never an issue with like the membership fee. Yeah. So that's just the guy get, likes it. So yes, then, or the woman, we have women members too. We'll say just yes to that. But as far as deal making goes, that's a step beyond where I get involved. Correct. Now, because it's between members on the same level, they're not going to kick each other down. That would be an insult to the other person they're trying to do business with here. So they cultivate it with each other and directly. And then details, of course, the CIO will get involved, the person's office will get involved, the lawyers will get involved. Sure. But the agreement starts at the top with a handshake. Let's talk about relationships a little bit. How important would you say the relationships are to your business, to your mission, as well as just to the members? Yeah, I think it's the only thing. I was talking to someone else who, someone I introduced you to, Robert, about his group and how he cultivates meetings. And I used to do meetings. I don't do conference anymore. I don't do that style of even summit or B2B summit, whatever you want to call it. I just have a group of people who come together. The only agenda is some opportunities that are on the table. And we'll have those in advance now in two to three. That's it. And there is no printed out program. There's no name tag. There's nothing to pick up. You just show up at the said time at the right place, location is given. And we have a few drinks and we'll sit down at the table and start the business of the day. So you do these amazing events, even though you're saying they're maybe they're not conferences, yeah, no, but right. they're, 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 they are. They're, they're how do you impress the super elite? Because what you're putting together, and yeah. I don't mean necessarily you, but at least for me, that's like a dream vacation that you hope it like some point in your life, you have an opportunity to experience. Yes. But yes. this is kind of a day in the life. For them. Um, well, yes, absolutely. You're right. And they have certain expectations. That's what the old farm showed me was how the level of expectation needs to be met. Because they, they baseline. 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 I mean, so they do the whole thing. So what I've learned is to have someone else hosted. I can't play in that sandbox. So I can't open my own private golf club or yacht harbor for them to bring their yachts to. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. I can get someone to host it. And that host is then... You just push that burden right on them. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's impressive. That's a nice word. That's a delegation. I feel like, I feel like uh, Tom Sawyer, yeah. right? Like painting the fence. You got, you got people to pay him to paint the fence. It is actually getting easier and easier because people actually don't want a program. Yeah. These guys don't want to... They're not going to go to a conference. If they do, maybe it's because they're speaking. 
and then they'll fly back out. Or they'll go for one topic to listen to it because there's one person they want to hear say something, whatever it is that the person is talking about. And then they'll fly out again. So the only way it can work and the only way it does work is letting the members themselves dictate the flow. Mm. How do they maintain the relationships amongst themselves? If you're not there... Oh, yeah. People follow they, up. So you make That's, the introductions. Yes. These, this is like an intimate, unique club. And then from there is your kind of job done. We have our calendar of meetings. Yep. We've got our social events, whether it's Miami Yacht Show, whether it's Abu Dhabi Formula One, whether it's golfing at someone's golf club, or we've got the business meetings, which we do on the sidelines of those. So we've got our calendar, but people, because they're like-minded families, people who are like-minded they will come together on their own. And we encourage it. I encourage yeah, it. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's... What, what do you see as a way that they build relationships? So you and I, we might send an email or a text or the phone call. Do you know how often they're... Because these people are getting hit yeah. constantly. Yeah. Everyone's trying to get to them. What do they do? And they say a lot of times that once you get to a certain point, you don't have to worry and you don't have to really be as proactive because you've got everybody coming at you. But do you notice that any of the top people that you've dealt with, what they do to be proactive in terms of their relationships and how much do they value? There is an etiquette. I have noticed this. There is an unspoken sensibility. You're right. Between members of that socioeconomic class, how they interact. You're absolutely right. I've noticed this. So they will... Whatever the correspondence, usually it starts with an invitation. An invitation to come to a member's state or whatever house or yacht. And obviously you're hosted as a guest. So to come as that person's guest and they'll send out the invitation by phone or call them up and say, would you like to come? And then the person will respond within 24 hours. They will respond promptly. And you just got to step ahead of me. Okay, good. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Well, I've just seen that. Like me, I'll have to wait a week sometimes, and <laughs> that's fine. You know, I know where I am. Food chain, food yeah. chain. I a am week's not, impressive. Yeah, right. Well, I'll take what I can get. Yeah. Exactly. I'm happy with just to be in connection and contact and be able to be part of the conversation. So I'm just happy to be there. What has that done for you? I'm sorry to interrupt sure, now. No, so yeah, you're, right. you're part of this. Why? Right. What is it about right. that? What do you learn? Right. What do you right. learn by sitting amongst this elite group? Yeah. And there's one thing that you mentioned to me when I asked you this somewhat before. And if you don't bring up the same answer, I'm going to throw it back at you. But have there been some takeaways that you've had in the way that it's affected your life and how it's made you change the way you go about your day or your relationships in general? Definitely, I have a different vibe when I am with members than when I am, I guess, in my natural state. (laughs) My natural state has become more toned down. Okay, that's what you were... It is That's the first, remember the first question I asked you. So you always just chill, right. man. You got this great yeah. vibe. It's right. I did definitely chill out a little bit. I tend to be, frankly, a very excited and excitable person. But I have learned to tone it down a little bit, not to walk on a someone's yacht and go, whoa, whoa, this is awesome, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is what I want to do. Yeah, A little bit of that is okay. But in general, just enjoy the company. Come for the right reason Mm. and not for the material side of it all, because that's what is so overwhelming from someone who's not, doesn't grow up in that, which I did not. And then what have been your takeaways with then how do you deal with the normal folk? (laughs) Actually, not any differently. I mean, what I've learned is that this is just a different way that I look at life is I just enjoy the company more, look for the good people, 
connect with the people who I feel something in common with, and the rest will take care of itself. Everything else will go is kind of an organic sensibility. Mm. I'm not always as zen as that sounds, but that is at the core what I believe. So even I'll just give you, for example, for myself, when I started, I, I grew up middle class and very lucky to grow up where I grew up. But I was around a lot of people that were not middle class. They were significantly higher. So I got okay. to see, and I would just watch them. I would study them. But I would like to see what it is that yeah. they did. Yeah. And I would notice the relationships. I would notice how they helped each other out. I would mm. notice. So I noticed the higher you go up in the food chain, yeah. the more those relationships mean something. Mm. The more your name is worth something. Yeah. The more value that how important that trust is yeah. and how that trust is transferable. Mm. So I, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but I try to pass that message along to as many people mm. as possible. Like, hey, this is what these people do. Yeah. We should do successful. this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it yeah. is. It we, is. We should do this. You yeah, know? you're right. Play the long game. Say the thank you. Hey, you're <laughs> absolutely some, right. Some basic common courtesies. It would go a long way. Yeah. Yeah, the short-termism is coming to an end. I mean, it's not dead in any way, financially or socially. But long-term, you're right. Treat others the same way you want to be treated. I mean, it's so basic, isn't it? Mm, but yeah. that is the reality. And people like this who are constantly being solicited for different, whether it's investments or time, time is a resource too, you learn. To me, that's the most important commodity on the face of this earth. That's true. Yeah. And that's what people at the end of their lives feel like they've come to understand. And I want to learn it before then. Yeah. <laughs> but absolutely to appreciate the time and to use it and not abuse it. Let's actually talk about that for a second. Forget about what they do. What are things that they don't do? Overstep the bounds. And it's knowing how and knowing the signals, I guess. Because people give off indicators, right, all the time. You were saying about how you had an earlier program or you were thinking about getting someone who he reads faces very well. Yes. So something, people give away signals and he'll be able to tell you that a whole lot better than Oh, yeah than I could, but you can feel it. You can feel that if people are cold to you, they're not warmed up enough to you, they don't know who you are, and so they don't want to let their guard down around you. You can feel that. And so knowing when to take a step back and let the person come to you is hugely um, important piece of maybe unspoken etiquette that I see people know. So, so how I'm interpreting that is empathy and self-awareness. So True. You're, so that's, True. you're saying that these elite class of people have a higher degree of mm -hmm. that self-aware, for the most part. For the group that I speak yeah. to, I'm drawn to those people anyway. Yeah. Everything Trump is not. I would hate him. And I, I you may have gone into politics, but I would never welcome anyone like that unless it was to talk about how to rehabilitate his crazed mind or his, his deformed and deranged soul. But I would always be glad to welcome in someone who is empathetic. And even for the right person, eventually, maybe one day, it won't be just about the money. It yeah. won't be just get beyond the wealth. We'll get to a point of not having to worry about just focusing on those who have the most money in the world to make them look in right directions that are going to be beneficial to all of humanity. Yeah. So I'd love to throw a question at you. It was one of the questions we were talking about at lunch 
and I'm going to botch it, Chris Shumbra, who I stole this question from, he asked me this question it's from the 747 Club, and I think it, it really is, it's a thought-provoking question. He was telling me he's writing a book about this question. Oh. So who is one person that doesn't get enough credit in your life? Yeah. Oh, there are so many. Yeah, I know. That's why I, I mean, so Do you have a first gut reaction? Yeah, of course that I That doesn't do. get the credit. I see the teachers who work with our kids, and I think, my God, thank you. Thank you for doing this on the salary that you're getting. I want one. I want one all person. Right. I want right. one. I'm sorry right. to hold you. Fine. I'm sorry to put you. So, and for you, not like that. Like this is someone fine. that's in. The one person is my mother. Yeah. There's okay. no question. That she doesn't get the credit? No, she doesn't okay. get any okay. credit. Okay, no, that's fair. Then that's fair. She doesn't get the credit. Why is she? What credit does she do? Mom, listen to this. <laughs> no pressure here, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, this goes back. She was supposed to be infertile, so she was not supposed to be able to have children. Wow. She was a member of a study that was being done by, like, Johns Hopkins University on why women are infertile. And she's the only person who got pregnant. And her, <laughs> the study professor said, you've ruined the study. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But she literally... So did she see you as a gift? She willed me into being, I think. I literally don't know how this came... You know, you don't know these things, and you don't want to think about all the details. But anyway, <laughs> the fact is that... And she wrote these letters every six months to me, which I will now go back and read, because I'm getting all emotional and nostalgic. Yeah. But she was so glad to have had a child. <laughs> After having been told all of her life this would never happen, she was in a study for women for why they can't. I don't give her the credit that I ought to, and she doesn't get it in her academic career. She's a teacher uh, as well. There we go. So she is someone who deserves it. That's yeah. interesting. You make me emotional now. Yeah, right. well, so it's really interesting. So if you don't mind, well, the reason he asked this question, so he runs his group. Mm. Big plug for you, Chris, by the way. So I want, I want some <laughs> residuals here. Uh, 47. He runs his group, and he gets these private dinners, 16 people. And I had asked him, how does he evaluate success in his dinner? And he says, if there's any less, and, and he asks, he goes around the table and asks that exact question, mm. probably better articulated than how I did it. And if there's anything less than six people that cry, it's a failure. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's asked this question to the elite of the, you're kind of traveling yeah. in the same yeah. circle. So it really evokes some I'm major. Glad to hear that. Yeah. So it's not, that's not. I'm and, very, it gives you hope in humanity, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, and that, yeah. We, we all have those emotions there of, and this is what we need to be reminded of. Yeah. Well, God bless him then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Great for him. So how open do your members get in some of these meetings? Or is it strictly like, hey, this is a really, no. they're very close. No. 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 Close to the vest. This is, uh, no, we get open oh. and emotional. Really? No, okay. I mean, this is one-on-one. -on -one. This isn't around a table when you're talking about a deal or a project. This is afterwards. But these are all, I mean, all of us are existentialists, I think. I think all of the members of the group are existentialists. Okay. They're wondering, how did we get here? <laughs> where, 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 are we where are we going? What's the journey? What's my purpose? And that is the question that everyone's are they Are out. they religious? Some are. But I got to assume you're bringing in people from, oh, you gosh. know, the Middle East, from Europe, from I'm all over, like every continent. Muslims, you're, Christians, yeah, Jews. Yeah. This is an agnostic. This is not a church we're building here. It's a community of people who are conscious, both conscious emotionally as well as spiritually. And so, um, yes, people do get deep. They all have it. It's just whether they, an individual wants to share that with you. But I always welcome it. I think I'm always getting in those conversations. That's, I think... 
the indicator mm. for me that this is someone I want in the group yeah. is if we have that conversation and we start to get into those deeper issues that all humans have, then I say, this is a real person. Yeah. <laughs> and someone who's trusting enough to be able to share this moment, it's a very vulnerable moment, with me. What's a habit that you have? Good, bad, or indifferent? Taekwondo. Interesting. That's a habit? Oh, yeah. Really? Because so yeah. it's what hard. Level are you? I'm a black belt. I'm black. First dawn, black belt. I got it in 2014 when I was already 40. Oh, so you came late to the game. I started in college, and I just took a lot of time off. I kept going back, never going for the black belt, never going for the black belt. Always meaning to, always wanting to. Went to Russia, studied there. Is it known for Taekwondo? No. I, mean, I know you get well, the East Samba, no? Samba okay. mostly and other stuff, but they had some kick-ass <laughs> Taekwondo. Really? What does it do for you? It keeps me focused, centered. It gets rid of all the pressure, all the thoughts that you have. When I overthink things. There's no overthinking it here. In fact, your mind, you've got to really get away from it. Very few who can use it, I think, in a setting of sports or physical activity, you can use it for a positive, although I do believe it is possible. Mostly, I just try and turn it off. Interesting. And it turns it off for me. Interesting. Yeah. Are you an introvert, extrovert, centrovert? Introvert. Although I am a Leo, I was born an extrovert. I was on the stage a lot as a kid. I was an actor a lot. Always been singing all my life. I loved at Cornell. I was part of this group called The Hangovers. It's an acapella group. I mean, we were on Bailey stage, 2,000 people in the audience, and the spotlight's on you, and you're singing the solo, and you're doing the comedy skits, whatever. I love that stuff. But I think I'm actually an introvert. It's funny. So all those things, there's a significant amount of people in entertainment mm. that are introverts. That's just... Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So because we are social creatures, yes. so you do need the interaction. That's right. And so that doesn't necessarily relate, but that's interesting. Yeah. So I know we, we don't have much time because we yeah. can get you to a really important right. meeting. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So I, right. I didn't forget. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. And I got lots and lots of random questions. So what happens is, check this out. Just put okay. your finger, don't look. Anywhere here, we're just going to grab a random question. All right. Okay. Yeah. How about that? Boom. All right. Let's see what we got here. Tell me about a relationship that was important to you that you blew up. <laughs> How did you do it? And is it rectifiable? Oh my God, you're joking me. I'm not joking you. You did it. Oh. I guess you got one in mind, man. There's wow. a. Yeah. <laughs> we do not have time for this. Okay. I cannot get into that okay i would love to is this an I, invite I, to bring you back is that yeah, what we're right. like because that's where we to start the next if we well, do bring you back that's i would have to start. i would have to have the other person here and agreeing with me interesting to, to do that i'm yeah. open to that i would be willing to do it if the other person agreed as well you're kidding me no all right let's take this again right. man boom okay what's something that you say you will do but you either don't or make excuses around doing them that's besides going to the gym or doing, learning you know. being more on top of the books i hate accounting oh yeah i hate it well do you do it or do you have it outsourced i have it outsourced but Good. you still got to do yeah. some yeah. things front work you know some stuff you got to do and i'm terrible i got a box of receipts and i just hand them all yeah. to this guy and i say well, why should you do that because that's kind of like you know like peter drucker double down on your strengths and outsource your weaknesses or whatever well you said, you know. okay but i also want to be because they then send you this big old bill for it i've i've noticed that in the self-made people they started counting every penny and every nickel and every dime the self-made guys in the group mm. and i don't have that instilled in me 
So, I mean, I grew up in, I mean, middle class, not even upper, a middle class family, not surrounded by wealthier families, blue collar town. You could be in the Miller's Brew company, plants, you could work there or at the Nestle plant. Those are the jobs. But counting your money, knowing your money, the value of money, I don't want to forget that. And so I think that's why I should do better at the accounting. So I do actually take notice and stop just saying, oh, it'll be fine. I'll just pay for it. This is all right. It doesn't matter how much it costs. Take a little bit of notice. Be smart. Be a good example for your kids too. That's a good point. That's a great point. Awesome. Is there anything I didn't cover? Do we not cover anything I want to make? I mean, I know we were a little sure, bit rushed. I'm sure we covered more than enough. We got in everything that we wanted to talk about. Okay. Well, God, I could keep going. So this is it. So I do. I want to take you up on All right. that other. So I'm going to All follow right. up. And I think that could be a really open up Pandora's box possibly <laughs> and see what we can do with that. It has Trump involved in it. So yes, oh, happy boy. to oh, uh, do that. Thank you, Adam. Thank yeah, you. Adam. Thank you. You got it. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise. 